Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. I have a great guest tonight, someone who has been a tremendous photographer for a while and this year got a bucket full of honors to show for it. But before we get to him, three quick requests. First, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Also, I request that you give a kind review, please, on iTunes. If you like what you hear and if you want people to hear more of it, the best way for that to happen is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. Be honest, of course, but really be honest if you think it's worth a five-star review. We appreciate that. And then finally, I request if you would like to check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, a how-to guide for the most in-demand position in local TV news, the do-it-all reporter. We've got interviews with so many tremendous solo video journalists, some of whom won similar awards to the one that uh, my guest won this year. So with that being said, again, that's The Solo Video Journalist, on sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and on the publisher's website. Now, let's get to the guest. He is a photographer at KXAS, the NBC affiliate in Dallas-Fort Worth. He won numerous NPPA honors this year. Several of his stories won nationally for the Best of Photojournalism Awards, and he was named last week as the NPPA's Central Regional Photographer of the Year in the quarterly clip contest, a tremendous honor beating out tremendous competition. Ryan Oliveira, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Doing great, and thanks for taking the time. Ryan, first of all, congrats. How you feeling? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, It was a long year, and you know, I just kind of did the best I could, but I'm, I'm just I'm happy with, with the entire year. It was, a, it was a fun year of storytelling and, and just trying to trying to just you know, go out there and, and tell stories about communities and people and kind of big events. And it was it was a good year. So, And you did quite a bit of it. And we will we will get to all of that. I, I do want to ask, though, obviously, we do this for the stories. We don't necessarily do this for the awards. But when you found out you won the various awards that you won from the NPPA uh, this past month, how did it feel? Uh, I mean, it felt good. It's I've been competing in the BO or in the best photography um, competition, the yearly competition every year um, for maybe, maybe about 10 years now. Um, and I haven't, I've never won that many uh, individual categories before. So it was, it was nice, um, you know, just to kind of see my name up there for the finalists. And then once, once the actual categories started coming through, it felt really good. So it felt good to be recognized. Who was the first person you uh, you called or that you got a text from? Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Joseph Huerta. Maybe he he texted me first. I think on one of the first ones. Um, just he's one. He's my old roommate. Works out of King in Seattle, and and him and I share ideas a lot. And so he was one of them. And then probably Noel Walker, who's who's my uh, one of the reporters I work with a lot. And her and I talk quite a bit after. After a lot of the stories, she was she worked with me on pretty much every story um, that I placed on. So I was going to say you heard her voice a lot in uh, in the stories that 
you uh, yeah. submitted and that that you won for in a tremendous mm-hmm. reporter. Hopefully, we'll have her on the podcast one day. I'm sure she yeah. would do it. I'm um, sure she would, yeah. <laughs> but for now, we've got you, and uh, very very excited to have you, especially because I think when people talk about storytelling, and when people envision the great storytelling photographers, they're usually thinking about real long pieces. Uh, a lot of times features, but the kinds of pieces that take days to put together and all the shots are exquisitely framed and exquisitely edited and it's a five-minute piece and it's a beautiful thing and and you wish you could wrap it and and deliver it to a viewer as a present. But your stories, the ones that continue to win awards, are largely the ones that are done on the daily grind. You work a night shift usually. We were talking about that before. Usually you work nights. Yeah. And you turn out stories that have that beautiful framing, that beautiful thought process behind it, but you do it in a crunch, working in one of the top markets in the country, uh, and for a station that really values storytelling. I, I know so many people at your station, and it is a tremendous outfit that just keeps getting better and keeps winning honors. Um, so I think it's important to, to have you here, not just because of all of the awards that you've recently picked up, but because you are someone who does it in a crunch and everyone's big complaint when they see these beautiful NPA MPPA award-winning stories is that, Oh, they're just, there's too much time. They take too much time. I don't have that kind of time. You don't have that kind of time, but you put together great work. Let's talk a little bit about your thought process and, and why you feel you've been able to do that as successfully as you have. Um, I think one of the main reasons why, or one of the, I guess early on, one of the, one of the luckiest things I, I was able to do was, was working at a station called K, uh, KLAS in Las Vegas. And I remember getting there, and a guy named uh, Corey Royer, Royer told me like right off the bat, he was like, it doesn't matter if you're good, you're going to get fast at whatever you do. Because it was, a, it was a running gun. We were, you know, we'd do three packages in a day sometimes, and sometimes different packages. So that place really helped me get faster at, at what I was doing. And then I got into the MPPA there, started watching a lot of stories from everybody else. But in the end, I think, just I, I got lucky enough to edit a lot I guess before I started as a photographer so the editing process um, is really has really grown for me um, and just trying to put all that together at you know in, in, a, in a short amount of time it just helped out by just being able to do so much of it when I was when I was younger um, but also just having a system you know it, when I work with Noel and some of the other reporters we have here we have a system as far as when we start really working on the story, when we start, I mean, if she starts, if Noelle starts writing her first couple lines, I have her track them right away so I can start building. Um, when I'm editing. Really? I'm I, that's very interesting. You don't hear that a lot. You actually have your reporter as she's writing almost track in real time. Yeah. So she'll track. I'll, I'll just have my camera ready in the back of the truck. And, and when she gets the first three or four lines, we talk about the beginning, how we're going to, how we're going to form the story, where it's going to go. But then we talk about the beginning. I start building um, kind of sequences already on my timeline before I actually get into putting her track down and I'll kind of build the beginning, build the end. And then once she gives me a couple tracks, I'll start actually building it. And then when she's done, when I'm done editing that section of the story, she'll start building the rest of it. And there's plenty of times where we have to go back and change some stuff because producers might change something when, when we get it approved, but it really cuts our edit. It gives us twice the amount of time to edit in the end. So I think that that's one of the main things is just coming up with a system when it comes to editing and and the actual writing process with the person that you're working with. Ryan, before we go on, I want to commend you. You, in your right arm right now, have 
a relatively large dog who <laughs> continues to creep into our Skype shots. So yeah. the fact that you're able to stay focused, it's no surprise to me that you edit in a crunch as well as you do because right now you're multitasking quite well. Who's, who's the dog? Uh, this is uh, Luna. She's a two-year-old pit bull. Um, she's a great girl. She's just super hyper, but she likes to be right right with me the whole time. So she she decided to come sit next to me during this. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing you said that that I wanted to focus on because I I know from personal experience how much I felt the same way was the need to get fast before you get good. So I worked my first job. I was a one man sports department in Sioux City, Iowa. So I was shooting, editing, producing, writing, and anchoring two sports casts a night, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And cool. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and, I, and I darn near burned out yeah. while doing it. But it made me so efficient and so quick that by the time I got to my next job and I only had to do one package a day, suddenly I felt very free to focus on craft and technique. Not that I didn't in my first job, but really be able to put the energy into that and not have to worry so much about just getting everything on the air super quickly. So I could see where that would make a big difference. And something I think younger journalists who always, you know, they're itching to get to that next stop and that next market. But sometimes in those early markets and those early jobs, you do get that ability to just get reps and just almost go through yeah. boot camp and, and develop the skills to be efficient and then yeah. allow yourselves to develop and, and build upon that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we, as we get, you know, further on in our careers, we learn so much. Um, but... I think early on that is that is kind of the time where you're really going to really going to learn the flow of your work and kind of what you can do in a short amount of time. And if you know what you can do in a short amount of time, then you can plan out your day better. You can plan out your shots, what you need, what you don't need. Um, I mean, I, I tend to overshoot and I'm constantly struggling with myself and, and deciding when to stop shooting and when, when to just keep shooting. Cause I know that if I keep shooting, and I get too much, my reporter's going to have less time to edit or less time to write, and I'm going to have less time to edit, and I'm going to have too much to try to edit. So I think, you know, the, the important thing in the end is just to know that you're learning all the time. So I actually had a different workflow, had to have a different workflow when I got here at KXAS because we had a system in place where we had to start feeding. We had to have our, our story back at the station and in the editor's hands 10 minutes to the show. It doesn't matter where you are in the show. So that rule kind of like all of a sudden, and you know, when I got here and you know, Noel was here at the same time too. So like we had to kind of really figure out it, even though we we've always kind of done the track as you go thing, we really had to like push it even more and we had to figure out a, an even quicker way to do it. Um, she usually will write in, we'll write and actually log every nap sound or every nap pop or whatever we decide to use for the, for the story. Um, it's, I kind of get to the point now where I edit with my headphones off in the back of the truck. She logs the normal sound and then she, she'll start to kind of log some of the gnats, but she'll also hear what I'm putting down as I'm editing. So she'll just tell me like, Oh, where, where do you want to put that? And I'll tell her where, you know, where that's going to go in the script. So it's, you know, it, we kind of had to evolve, but I think, you know, as far as speed goes, you, you have to learn it early because if you don't, then you're going to spend so much time trying to shoot and and edit these amazing things, and you and you're going to push yourself to the limit every night, and you might not make slot every night. And you know, in the end, in a newsroom, making slot is the most important thing. Because if you don't make slot, you don't have a story. Period. 
So. Which I guess is why that rule exists in your newsroom, because it, it even is. if your story doesn't run till 10, 15, yeah. if it doesn't make it, then that's going to throw the show off. Yeah. And we also have a lot of, uh, you know, we, you have to troubleshoot because we, we had some issues with, with one of our systems when it comes to feeding, um, our my fives weren't working as well as they should have been. So it's like we had to, all that's gotten fixed now, but at first it was really, it was really tough to know how long it was going to take you to feed. So you really had to give your, I mean, I give myself, I try to finish editing my package, the actual story, 30 minutes to air and give myself wow. an extra like 20 minutes to, to feed if I need to, because you just, you just never know. So, hmm. yeah. so let's get into some of the stories that you've done. And this is the telling the story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl, my guest, Ryan Oliveira, NPPA central top photographer of the year for 2017, working out of KXAS in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, the story that, uh, that I referenced in a previous piece on my blog about some of the NPPA Best of Photojournalism winners. I mentioned you and Noel in a piece you did covering the uh, church shooting at Sutherland Springs, uh, which was a road assignment for you guys because that was close to San Antonio. So that was, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, a few hours uh, out of the way. I want to say it was four and a half to five, I think. Wow. Pretty long drive, yeah. And it was the, the piece, and, and the link will be in the... Uh, in the episode link or the video rather will be in the episode link uh, on the blog. So check out the telling the story blog and watch the story. If you haven't seen it already, because I think when people talk about tragedy and people talk about the, the media being invasive, this is so the opposite of that kind of story because it, it showed the emotion of everything going on in that small little town that was dealing with this huge story and yet the way that you shot it and the way that Noel wrote it had such a sensitivity and a tenderness. And for me, when I was watching that, I noticed how far back you always seemed to be as a photographer. Yeah. A lot of times in stories like this, you know, the, the cameras are getting right up in people's faces while they're grieving, while they're at a vigil. And it's, and it's very rude, to say the least, but it's also very invasive and, and causes, I think, people to react in unnatural ways. When I watched your story you were back and zoomed in and got some beautiful moments. Talk about that for you. And, and I'm assuming that's something you and Noel talked about, about how to get the story while respecting the situation and the emotions of the situation. Yeah. I mean, when the, when the story came down, they sent us out and, you know, as we got closer, we started realizing what was going on, um, how bad it was. And it was a long drive. So we had a lot of time to kind of talk about uh, what we might do when we get there. And, uh, and before you go on, Ryan, let me just clarify too. Let me make sure we get this. When the story that you produced, which was about the emotions in this town, how soon after the actual shooting was that? Um, I'm pretty sure that was the same night. So you drove out in the morning and then put that together. You know it was it was the next day. It okay. Was the day after, I believe. So we sent it. We sent a couple crews down, and then our news director sent us down and said, Hey, go tell, like, we want, we want a people story. We want something that's, that's different from just the normal, you know, big nuts and bolts story. So they wanted mm -hmm. a sidebar. Um, so our idea was to actually do a sidebar when we got there. So well, I, you I, left I that morning like, and got to work that afternoon. Yeah. So I think we got wow. there. I think we did actually leave the next day. Now that I think about it, I think we left, left the next morning. Um, so we kind of knew everything that was going on. And I remember thinking, as we were driving down and, and I actually said this to Noel, I was like, we're going to outnumber the people in this town because we go to these little towns all the time in Texas. 
And, you know, it's a lot of times we go when it's just a, a regional story and we kind of outnumber the people and we really overwhelm the people there because they're not used to seeing us there. They're not, they're not, it's not Dallas or, or Minneapolis or anything like that. They're not used to seeing us there. So, um, I kind of knew, and we talked about the fact that when we get down there, like we're going to be overwhelming them. And maybe that's part of what we talk about in our story. Um, and that was kind of the little middle section to the story where we kind of took a step back, um, from the vigil and went kind of back to show people or really explain to people what kind of town this was and how small it was and how the media had kind of taken over. Um, and when we got to the vigil after we kind of shot the first part of the story, um, or that middle part of the story, um, we got there and there weren't a lot of people there. It was, it, you know, at first it had taken some time for people to get there and sure enough, every single media outlet was coming there. And, you know, we noticed right off the bat, us and a couple of other crews were kind of staying back because every time I get in situations like that, I kind of gauge how, how the people are reacting to us. Um, I try to gauge how emotional they are. Um, I don't want, you know, I, I try to look at it as a person first before I start looking at it as a journalist. So I wonder how these people are feeling, what they're going through, and then what it's going to feel like to have me there in front of them. Um, and so we noticed a lot of crews, a lot of smaller market crews and some national crews that were kind of just not, they didn't think of it that way. They, they were okay with going up and, and sticking their camera right in the people's faces as they were crying. Um, you know, top light blasting and, and it was, it was kind of a low light situation for me. And I don't, I don't have a top light. I just keep it off for reasons like this, but, um, we kind of stood back and we're kind of almost shocked and a little frustrated and upset at the, at the way that some people were reacting to the situation as far as media. Um, it just, you could tell that they were looking, they were just trying to get the shots because they were probably told by somebody back at the station that we just need you to get the shots. And how did the people at the vigil seem to be taking they were, that? They were, they seemed to be okay, but I did notice that there were a couple of people that were getting super emotional and, and kind of, you know, reacting to the music and they were kind of out in front and the rest of the crowd kind of stood back and was just like really, they just didn't seem as interested as getting involved or at, they weren't as interested with getting involved in the actual vigil process, I think, because so much media was there and in their face. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of stood back and waited. And once everybody kind of stepped away, and we had already gotten a couple of initial interviews early on uh, from a woman, the woman that you see at the beginning of the story. Um, and then, you know, but we, so we kind of felt like we, we had the sound that we needed. We just needed some of the visuals and one extra piece of sound at the end. But once we kind of let everybody do their thing and we stayed back, it was a lot easier for the rest of the crowd to kind of get involved in, in the process and, and to be able to grieve the way that they wanted to. And that's where some of the better video came out. Um, you know, it was a situation where we had to be like, okay, we can't, can't stress ourselves out over the fact that we, we're not getting everything right this second. It'll come. You know, we kind of just trusted the fact that that more people were going to be there and that the emotions were still going to run high throughout the whole thing. And and it, and it paid off in the end. We, we got, you know, we got lucky with a pastor that we ran into from Dallas um, and he really helped us kind of get a couple of extra pieces for the end of the, for the end of that story. But 
you know, there was a lot more we actually got that we really wanted to put in. Um, but we just, it was a, like, like you said earlier, it was just a daily grind story. We had to kind of push it and get it on air. So, and you've got so much happening, but only 90 seconds, maybe yeah. two minutes to actually put on the air. How yeah. much of the decision-making there was done after you'd shot the vigil as opposed to beforehand thinking about here's what we really need to focus on? Or did you kind of let it play out and then talk afterwards quickly about, okay, here's what happened and here's what we want to show? Well, and we didn't, at first we didn't know that there was going to be a vigil. So like we shot, like I said earlier, we shot, we shot some of the smaller things early on, but once we got to the vigil, we kind of figured that we would kind of bookend with that. Um, so we knew, we knew that we would book in with that vigil. And so when I first got there, the first thing I did when we got to the vigil was get an opening shot. The sunset was kind of cool. And like, it just, it was still pretty quiet. Not a lot of people there. Um, and so we did have, we had an idea as to how we were going to do it. Um, you know, we started with the woman before it kind of built up and then ended with the pastor. But a lot of that decision-making we kind of knew going into it once we figured out that we were going to shoot the vigil, kind of how we would, how we would structure the story. Um, but you know, the pastor obviously was an afterthought that came in later that really helped out the story. And, and yeah, so. I think there's something whenever I talk with younger journalists or, uh, or the solo video journalists, especially who are trying to keep track of so many things yet still produce an emotional, powerful story. I think a lot of times a step that gets missed is just keeping an eye on framing and the the shots that help you tell emotion through visuals and you said that the first thing you did when you got there was notice that there was a, a really nice sunset going mm -hmm. on and yeah. you made sure you got a shot a nice wide shot of the scene while that was happening yeah and you know sunsets i i guess are you know subjectively but usually much more visually uh compelling yeah. than dark or just straight up sunlight. And it's not necessarily related to the content of the story, but it helps, I think, to convey the, the gravity of the story, to yeah. show it. So it seems like, as I watch your stories, and that one in particular, that you're looking for that. You're not rushing around to get every single shot you can. You really take your time and make sure that the shots that you do choose are framed beautifully, uh, zoomed in enough where you get that nice depth of field there and, and blur out the background a little bit. And, and you're on the lookout for big moments rather than the quantity. You're going for quality over quantity. Yeah, because I think, you know, if, if the quality is, is good enough, it's going to speak for itself. The, the more you get, you know, I also feel like the, the more you get, the more chances you're kind of giving yourself to make um, – not make mistakes, but, but it's, it, you kind of overuse shots. You, you, you can also over edit in situations like that. Um, I knew that this story was going to be somewhat of a slower story because it's a, it was an emotional story. It was a really emotional day for everybody. And so it was, we knew right off the bat what kind of pacing it was going to have. Um, and when it's, when the pacing is a little bit slow, you got to understand to kind of hold your shots longer and, and, and hope for something to happen while you're holding that shot. And it was, you know, picking and choosing kind of who, who to really focus on in some of the shots was, I was very specific. Um, I was looking for people who were really, who were really going through a, a tough time. And, and, 
And I feel like that was what we needed to show the viewers because, you know, viewers at home, they see a lot of stuff on, on TV. And of course they get, they get upset about it. And people were, everybody was, was upset hearing about the, uh, the Southern Springs shooting, but to actually see those people and see what they're going through just gives, it just really puts things into perspective for viewers. Um, and I think that that's the other thing we have to always concentrate on, on serving our viewers and not so much serving ourselves as artists or as, um, or as photographers or editors or whatever. And, and, you know, I think that that was, we, we really try to focus on that on every story, uh, knowing that the people that are involved are, are, it's, this is part of their life. You know, it's work for me, but it's part of their life. And, and if we can show that to, to viewers, then that really, that just benefits everybody. I feel like. Yeah. I, I think one thing I always say is that, you know, when a viewer watches our story, they haven't been there for eight hours. They yeah. haven't been working on the story and have experienced the story the way that we have. So you really do almost have to start from scratch when you think about how they're going to be taking it in. So for a story like the one that you did at, you know, at that vigil, being able to just hang on some faces for a while, faces that the people watching in Dallas have almost certainly never met, yeah. they're going to even if they don't know their names, even if they never see or hear anything more about them, they're going to be able to feel the emotion because you've spent an extra second or two showing them in the piece. Of course, yeah. And, you know, it's... I, I also think... And, and you, you know, what you said earlier about the uh, about getting close and maybe getting too close and causing it an, an adverse reaction or a different reaction to than what you would normally see is... is that's, that's true. I mean, you have to make sure that that you're not actually affecting this person in a different way. Um, and then putting something totally different on TV than what you, than what you should be. Um, but you know, the, the composition also in this piece was something that I really tried to focus on. I try to focus on that a lot when it comes to shooting. Cause I feel like there's times where I, I go shoot something. And I'm like, I don't really know how much of this is going to get on, but to make it creative as creative as possible. Um, but also, but also make it make sense. Um, but yeah, so create. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that that seemed about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are some uh, What are some techniques for composition that that you kind of lean on in a situation like that, or in or in any story that you do? Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, just filling your frame. Um, that's one thing that I try to focus on. That I try to talk to some of our photographers about um, is just filling our frame. Um, Placing something in your frame that looks, and if you got, I mean, sometimes you got to move the camera just a little bit to the right. Sometimes you got to get up and just back up a little bit just to fill your frame with whatever you're looking at. Um, kind of look at, look for um, shapes, you know, like, like geometry shapes that really kind of stand out, but actually that can help you kind of fill your frame, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, and then also just, foreground background stuff i mean we all talk about that um and then also the right amount of lighting um there's a lot of times where we're where i'll see a lot of work where people are, are actually irising to the darkest spot when i feel like you actually need to iris to the to the brightest spot um because it just I, I don't know it just looks better to me in my opinion um so yeah and then also just looking for lighting on actual subjects if you're shooting a person looking for the the shadow side of the camera lighting if you have it 
Um, and then I, I love shooting in low light situations. I don't know why. I just feel like it looks, <laughs> it's just fun to me. It's, it's a little bit of a challenge, but it's also, I just feel like the, the lighting just looks, I don't know if you can really find a situation where you have a good balance of light, but it's in a low light situation. It just seems more dramatic and, and interesting to the eye in my, in my opinion. So. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'm going to make an infographic of everything you just said to send to everyone I know who's in this business. That's very interesting. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Ryan Oliveira, uh, photojournalist extraordinaire at KXAS, the NBC affiliate in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, Ryan, I like to use this last section of the podcast as kind of an advice section for younger journalists. Um, You mentioned that you spent some time in Las Vegas at a station there before you came to Dallas. Take me through your career journey, how you became interested in photojournalism and news photojournalism specifically, and how you made your way up the ladder. Um, I started actually in like a news production class when I was probably 15, 14, something like 15. Wow. Um, Is that high school at that point or junior high still? Yeah. Yeah. It was a high school. Um, I was, I kind of, just randomly ended up in the class because I needed another elective. And, <laughs> and so I, I took that and it was, I ended up really enjoying it. And it was a lot of fun. I had a, um, I had a really good teacher, uh, Mr. Garcia at Rigetti high school who just, where was this? Where was this high school? It was in uh, Santa Maria, California. So central coast okay. of California. Cool. Um, but it was, yeah, I got really lucky with him. You know, he was, he, he still, he, he tried to push me to write a lot. I just never wrote. I just never wanted to. I was just so focused on the editing and the, and the photography side of it. Um, and he got me a job. It was supposed to be an internship. It turned into a job the first day at KCOY in uh, Santa Maria, California. It's Channel 12. It was a CBS. I think they still are a CBS affiliate. Um, but I, got, I worked there when I was – I think I got the job there when I was 18. Um, I was still in wow. high school. So huh. I was a production assistant for a little while, did tape, um, audio, and, you know, studio camera and prompter. Did that for about six months, and then I started editing. Um, I edited there for four years, and then I shot for about a year and a half before I got my job in Las Vegas. Um, and then I was in Vegas for three years. Uh, that's kind of where I got into the whole MPPA thing. Um, but I do remember when I was when I was at... Um, it's was funny because you don't... Uh, go ahead. Sorry. All right. Oh, no, I, I do remember when I was at KCOY, I remember seeing this old newspaper or this old news photographer magazine with Scott Jensen on it when he was, I don't even know what year it was. And I remember looking at his stories back then and just realizing that that's kind of what I wanted to do, that that style of, of news. So I started kind of getting into like the idea of the MPPA and storytelling at my first station. And then I really was able to, to try to actually try it at my, at, um, KLAS in Las Vegas. So I was there for three years and then I lucked out and got a job at WFA in Dallas. Worked there for six and a half years. And then I went to um, went to Oakland and worked at KTVU for three years. That's where I met uh, Noel, who I worked with a lot. And then I came here February. Well, yeah, it's been two years ago. Two years ago in February. So wow. yeah. And uh, talk about just the, the shop that you guys are building in Dallas, uh, news director, Mark Ginther, an incredible news director with a, with a tremendous track record of building stations that do well in the ratings, but also tell tremendous stories. And the, your photojournalism staff there is filled with all stars, the reporting staff too. talk about 
what it's like being in that newsroom as someone obviously who's been in several in your career. What has stood out about being in this one? Um, I think the, the first thing that stood out when we got, you know, when I got here was mainly just the ability to, to storytell and not be, not, not so much to be questioned, but just, it was, it was the idea that they want you to tell a story every day. They want, they want the people side of the story. Not so much. It was nice to be able to go into a, to a story and not feel like you got a loaded full of facts. Um, and that you actually get the get the chance to tell the people side of the story, which is what, which is I think what we all really do it for in the end. Um, I mean, we don't do reporting or photography. We don't do storytelling to actually talk about the facts of the story. It's really how those facts and and how the story itself affects the people involved in the story. So that's the one. That's the biggest thing I think with our station is that we we really do try to focus on on that, and then also just the photography staff is, it's just a bunch of guys who are just, who are just kind of hungry to do good work and really, they really want to, they, they want to get better. Um, and then, you know, you got, you already got guys like Mike Richard there and Peter Hole and Jose Sanchez and Steve Stewart, our chief. Um, they're just, everybody's just kind of in it as a whole and we're just trying to do the best stuff we can. So this is a station that, that won, I believe four yeah. national Merle awards last uh, year. Um, yeah, I think it was three or four. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, just named a finalist for a Peabody Award for yeah. uh, for an investigative series. Uh, so plenty of great work coming out of KXAS in Dallas Fort Worth, Ryan. I, I as we talk about younger journalists coming up and in those earlier stages, not at a market like Dallas or San Francisco yet. What are the things that you felt really helped propel you? Other than we talked about getting the reps in, getting speed. What helped really propel you as a storyteller? I think one of the first things for me when I really got into it was just looking at other people's stuff, looking at other people's work. Um, I spent a lot of time online when I was, you know, 23, 24 years old, just watching stories from all these different stations. I mean, one of, I would go on to CARE's website, KUSA's website, WFA's website, um, and just, just pick through and just try to find a story that I like and really get some different ideas. Um, and then of course, when all the BOP stuff comes out every year and, and the, uh, the quarterly clip contest, it's, it's nice to be able to go through that and, and watch other people's stuff. I think another thing that's good is, is to volunteer to, to do critiques and to judge, uh, for the quarterlies. Cause I think that's another thing that, that really gives you an idea as to what other people are doing. And it gives you a lot of different options as to what you can try. Um, and it's, and not just for the quarterlies too, but for the Emmys as well. I know we always oh, get yeah. asked to judge regional Emmys and mm-hmm. I've, I think I've even judged your region before, although not since yeah. you've been there, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, one of those things that just getting to watch 20 stories yeah. that you have no prior understanding of yeah. and then judge them and critique them. It, it, it makes you understand what works and what doesn't work in your yeah. own stuff a little more as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it, it does, it really puts into perspective what, what, you know, what a really good story is compared to an okay story. Um, so yeah, I think judging is, is a big thing. And it's also something that just helps out with, with other people and their craft. If you give good, criti- good critiques, stuff that's constructive and, you know, it's, it, that's another way to just help the other people around you and the other journalists around you also. So. Very good. All right. Well, Ryan Oliveira, thank you for joining me. That's all the questions that I have, but I always like to 
end with uh, the famous reporter's question, one I'm sure Noel asks quite a bit. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Uh, not that I know of. Just, you know, I, I love what I do, and, it, and it's been something that, that's really been a passion for me for a long time. So I'm, I'm just I'm honored to do it, and I'm just happy to do it. It's something that I just really love to do. All right. Well, Ryan Oliveira, congratulations on your many honors, and thank you for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. All right. Thank you, Matt. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Again, rate and review this podcast on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio, and check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.